you are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denagno, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarelawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t-shirts, and everything you need to support the You Are a Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to grab some merchandise. In episode 61, I am speaking with a legal operations manager and lawyer. This guest helps companies understand legal events, e-discovery, and data privacy with internal and external counsel. Based in Atlanta, Georgia, today's guest is Sunita McRae. All right, so welcome to the podcast, Sunita. Thanks for having me, Kyla. <laughs> so I'm, I'm laughing at you because you, you're a big ham. I know that because you and I went to law school together class of 2015 uh, from Southern University Law Center. So Sunita, would you tell the audience a little bit about your background, who you are, where you're from, all of those good details? Okay, so my background is a bit, you know, all over the place, but I'm able to use each piece of my background to build the foundation to where I am now. So I went to undergrad at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida, where I got a degree in broadcast journalism. From there, I was a reporter. I did education and government news, and I did that for TV and radio. Following that, I also did some work at a big conglomerate. But then I was like, you're literally working like three jobs. This is going to work out. So I was like, hmm, what to do now? So then I went to, I went back to school and I went and got a master's in public administration from North Carolina Central. Okay. And it was there that I realized, you know, like one of my ultimate goals is to open a nonprofit, but it also alerted me to some areas where I saw a space for the type of law at that time I wanted to do. So that's when it was time to go to law school. So Mm -hmm. I literally was finishing my MPA my first year of law school. Oh, wow. And so a lot of my law school credits, as long as I made a B or above, were used for my credits for my MPA. Okay. So get the law degree from Southern. And Mm -hmm. then as soon as I get the law degree, I ended up, you know, realizing that I was going to be pregnant. And so it was, okay, you're pregnant and now you're studying for the bar exam. Mm -hmm. What are we doing here? Like you're losing your mind. You don't know what you're doing. It's time to move back to Georgia, which I'm originally from. Although I went to school all over the place, I am a Georgia peach, born and raised. And so it was time to go back. And literally the first time I took the bar exam, it was just me sitting in there. Like my, my head wasn't in it. I was like high risk pregnancy. It was just a lot happened. So I was just like, you know what? Okay, cool. I had my son and I wasn't able to like find a job. And I kept trying to work at different firms. You know, I'd go in and, you know, try to get to the family law part because that's what I was mostly interested in. And just working at firms, just watching the litigation. I was like, I don't think this is, this isn't going to be me. And so I saw a job opening and it was something called a project attorney. Now at this time I had no idea really how big e-discovery, forensic, data privacy, cybersecurity, that whole area, I had no idea what it is or what it was. And for those who don't know what e-discovery is, it's electronic discovery. It's the things from back in the day where they used to drop those big boxes of paper at law firm. Now those same papers are now stored on your tablets or your computers or your phone. And so now it's discoverable. And so working at this firm, started doing a project attorney and it was like, 
review and document. So it's like a doc review. And so that was in 2016. And since 2016, I've been in this industry and that's the e-discovery industry. They really taught me most of my skill set and built me up. I started as a project attorney and it was there that it was early, like seeing like, hey, we see you able to do more. So then I became a litigation support specialist. And that's when it was more so of the preservation of the discovery data. I wasn't the person who was just reviewing it. Now I'm learning how to get it done with the forensics team. Yeah. And then from there, I became a preservation coordinator. So then now I have a team of my own and I was embedded inside of a Fortune 500 company. And so we just did work for them. And from there, you know, I literally would have stayed there because that's all I knew. I was able to move up. I thought I was moving up. Um, as I look back at it, it wasn't really a move up because it was one of those things where you're doing more work, but you're not seeing like the benefits of it. So yeah. time moves on. Right. You, yeah. you know, and that happens a lot. It's where people get so comfortable with you and piling on the work for you and they just know you're going to do it. And so that's kind of how they were. And then, like I said, just matriculating through the company and then they just drop the bomb on us. They're like, yeah, you guys are going to be laid off but before we lay you off can you please train the firm that's going to take over to do your job so that's like one biggest bad taste in my mouth that I've had this company I've been with you for so many years and this is how you kind of did like people who were with you for like 15 years here I am you know six years and it was crazy that they just were bye you know and pretty much we noticed that they let us go and then reconfigure, reconstructured the name of our titles and then paid less. And so they knew that we wouldn't go for the pay decrease. So that was right. the only option I guess they saw. And wow. so it was at that time I was like, you know, what better thing to do than take the bar again? So I was going to sit for the February bar or let go in December. And then again, that didn't work out. And so I'm like, you know, I put so much pressure on myself with the bar exam. Like my life can't begin. I can't do anything. Oh, my goodness. I don't have a job. And now, uh, you know, here's the bar exam again in my way. And literally the company that I was working for previously networking, this lady calls and she was like, hey, are you still looking for a job? I'm like, yes. Yeah. She's like, I think I have the best opportunity for you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So she was like, what do you know about legal operations? I was like, I mean, you can tell me what I need to know and then I'll figure it out. <laughs> I know everything you need me to know. Right. I've been doing this for years. Got it. And so she was like, that's the same attitude you need to have when you're in front of the attorneys that I'm about to put you in front of. And so oh, I'm wait, like, you told her that. Yes. This is <laughs> the former lady coming to me asking, do I still need a job? So okay. I'm like, yes. And she's like, okay, tell me what you know about this area. And I was like, nothing. But if you put me in front of whoever is about to hire me, I'll know everything. By the time it's go time in this interview, mm-hmm. I will sound very versed in this area. And so she was just like, your background in e-discovery is also going to come into play because they need an e-discovery lawyer and then someone to, you know, create that space and process for them. Whereas e-discovery is involved. I was like, well, that's a slam dunk. I got that. Mm -hmm. And so 
had my interview and this was probably one of the longest interviews I had. I did about seven interviews with them for each time asking different questions. And so, heck, by the time I got to the seventh person who was the general counsel, I really did know everything there was to know about legal (laughs) operations because it was pretty much me building each time. Each interview was a a, a different build. Mm -hmm. And so... I got the job and I started in May and pretty much I was told from Jump Street, you know, this is going to be an autonomous role where your day to day is you pretty much assessing what needs to be done. And so I hit the ground running. I went through, I met with all the different paralegals, different attorneys. And I was like, I used to call it my three P's. What's your process pain point? Mm-hmm. And so went through, talked to each person and it was just very archaic. A lot of the things could be easily innovated and upgraded. It's just a lot of people just didn't know how to or what to do. And the craziest thing is, I feel like our generation, we're that generation where you're never going to see a sweat. So I pretty much did not know how much of a techie I was. Mm-hmm. Until I got into this role because I'm sitting there, you know, doing trainings and things like Microsoft 365 and doing trainings on different systems that I've never seen before, fixing things inside of systems. And that's just me just being, you know, hands on learner, I guess the best yeah. way, you know, say it is just and yeah. so, you know, this was one of my roles where I enjoyed it every day, you know, helping people understand what they were doing and then being told like, oh, so glad you're here because, you know, I've been waiting for someone to come in to update us, to get us going. And so it was funny to me when I first came on that there's the older paralegals, I would, I, would, I call them the boomers. The boomers were not trying to hear anything I had to say. <laughs> they had their hand like, no, this works fun. I've been doing this for years. I'm like, but what? Just, just what if it works? Oh, no, 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 it's not going to, it's not going to. So I started doing a lot of pretty much show and tell. I would do things and then I'm like, what do you think of this? And they're like, oh, well, this does work better. And so I started running them over one by one by one with just showing them a new way to do things, a streamlined way to do things. And that's all legal operations really is. It's a way for you to take a department or office, streamline them, make them innovative, create process steps and keep them operational. You manage the day-to-day tasks, especially for me, a legal department. And then I also did like the billing and invoicing, assessing that. But at the same time, I was running the e-discovery. And so they never had anyone who could speak to them about e-discovery in twofold. You had someone who was a lawyer who could break it down for the attorneys. But at the same end, the vendor could tell me, Sunita, we were trying to tell them the system that uh, most people use is called relativity. We were trying to tell them while they were in the system reviewing XYZ, this happened, or they're using the wrong search terms. Can you help them understand? So then I go back to the attorney. I'm like, think of your search terms as your connectors. If you use the wrong connectors, you're going to get the wrong information. Yeah. And so it became one of those things. It's like, 
bounce around, bounce around. Mm-hmm. You know, it was fun. And then I learned a new area of law. So in Europe, they have these things called data subject access requests. And pretty much you just need your JD, but be a solicitor. And then there's another one. But nonetheless, I was able to run this facet of it because of access requests pretty much is you have someone's information and the GDPR, which are the rules that govern, say that you have to provide it. And so that was almost like an area of e-discovery because before you can provide someone's information back to them, because it's theirs, you have to redact all the personal information. And so that's something that you do with discovery. And so that was just an area I was able to write a workflow for because there was not one. People were doing DSARs, as they're called, and just flying by the seat of their pants. And so that was like one of my bigger projects that I was just like, self pat on back, never knew this area, and then busted out a process. Crushed it. Yeah. Crushed it. And so that kind of where the autonomy came from. It's like, once you showed me something once, and once I saw something once, I was able to make it operational. Mm-hmm. So this is an industry that I would stay in. Like even if I end up getting my bar license or whatever, that I would stay in this area, legal operations, e-discovery, because it's like I found my niche. It's like, mm-hmm. this is what I like to do. Your your podcast is You Are a Lawyer. And that's one of the first things an attorney told me when I got there. He was like, you're not a paralegal. You're nobody's admin. You're nobody's assistant. You are a lawyer. You have a JD. Make sure you let people understand that and remind them of that often. And I didn't know what he meant at first. And then I realized it was something that I had to keep reminding people like, like, and so I ended up having to start putting my credentials in my signature. Mm -hmm. So it was like MPA JD. And so people were like, wait, you're a lawyer? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I sure am. I can help. (laughs) I never knew that about you. You didn't ask. Okay. There you go. Well, that makes me feel good because I talk to people who have all these different careers, but the point is you went to law school, you graduated, you're a lawyer, like stand on that because there's so much strength with it. Right. So a couple of things from what you said, I feel like you like legal operations because it's a good mixture of your communications, broadcast journalism background Mm -hmm. with techie stuff. So when I said earlier that I built on my skill set, so I'm client facing. So I have to be able to communicate with not only internal, but external stakeholders. So boom, that's my broadcast journalism degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, The master's in public administration is I have direct reports and the organizational skills that one has in the MPA field is something that I use in this role. And then the law degree allows me to further build where e-discovery is concerned as well as legal operations. So I literally, you know, use every single Mm -hmm. degree in some facet of my day. Wow. I love that. Because I'm sure as you were getting the degrees, you're probably like, okay, so what am I going to do with this one? And what am I going to do Oh, I was just a professional student. I just, like, I can stay in daddy's pocket as long as I'm in school. I don't have no real responsibility. And hey, I'm just collecting these things at this point. And, you know, now it's funny because they all built on each other. And so here we are now. Okay. And so you mentioned the bar exam. Mm -hmm. Um, You took it once while you were pregnant. And you thought about taking it again. And then you mentioned that you would consider getting licensed now. Um, I definitely would. It's, it's like one of those things where it's personal. It's like, yeah. you're not to litigate. You, you know, you don't really need it to be successful. Because at first I used to put that much pressure on myself. Is mm-hmm. I can't be a single mom and be successful if I don't have that license. Yeah. And that was completely untrue. Yeah. I 
found my success. I found my niche. I found what I was good at. And my JD and my experience hold more weight in this arena than that license would. And there's some people that don't take you serious because you you don't have the license. But then when you show them how much experience you have and your knowledge and they can't deny that. Mm -hmm. So it is something that I would do. I wouldn't just like put that to the side, like, oh, you don't need it or whatever. Well, that is good to know. And then when you were working as a project attorney, Mm -hmm. were you telling people at that office that you were a lawyer and a law school graduate or were you just letting your experience lead? No. So there you, you had to, you, you had to. It was JD preferred. Yeah. 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 JD. And then as I matriculated, you had to be eligible to sit for a bar. Okay. Okay. So there was the criteria going in there and this was off the strength of this being a newer company that they were taking a chance because a lot of these companies were like, no, you need 10 years experience. You need your license because of the work you're going to be doing, the documents you will see, you know, they're privileged and you need to understand privilege. And I'm like, yeah, being in law school, you learn privilege. That's not something. You <laughs> Got it. So they just broke it down a little differently. There were some, you know, cases I couldn't work on because the, the client did want that license. But, you know, I was able to stay doing doc review literally every day. So doc reviews usually are like three months assignment, three weeks, 30 days, just different time frame. I had gotten to a place where I never had any downtime. Okay. So I went from project to project until I became full-time and moved to a different area. Okay. I got you. So Legal Operations, e-discovery, had you heard of operations before law school and before your first role? Did you even know that this type of work existed? Did not know it existed. Mm-hmm. It, like in law school, and I don't even know if it's just attributed to, you know, our law school being civil law based. I don't think many schools up until, you know, recently even spoke about e-discovery or legal operation or any operational role, even like cybersecurity and data privacy. These aren't things that were widely spoken about in law school. I mean, that was seven years ago. I wonder if technology has just moved that quickly. And to where now it's such a big deal, data and privacy and all of it. Um, and that's that's the thing. You can't really do much now without having so many things in play because you have so many people who do ransomware attacks. And so most companies now have to have some type of cybersecurity, data privacy holds in place. And so I, I do think it's the times have pushed the needle. I do have a friend, she's in law school here in Georgia, and they do talk about it. They have people come in and speak about e-discovery, okay. data privacy, and stuff of that nature. And so I wonder, is it just here at this type of law school, or, or is it everywhere? Yeah. I just know when we were there, this was not a topic of discussion. Right, definitely not. I get real antsy at jobs, like 14 months and I'm ready for a new role, right? Like I've mastered it, what's next? And I've always, 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 gotten into a role, created a process, made a binder, tabs. I never felt like I had to be in every office. I always was like, this should always be transferable. Anyone should be able to pick up this binder, read it, know exactly what to do. Right. And that was just me. I'm like, I can be irreplaceable, but like my work doesn't have to be, (laughs) right? 
Yep. And that is operations. And I've absolutely fallen in love with operations because I enjoy processes and making them make sense. It's something you can be proud of. It, it's mm-hmm. like I've given you, you know, the roadmap from a three-year-old to a 90-year-old and anyone in between can mm-hmm. follow this roadmap and be successful doing X, Y, Z. And that's something that no one could create or had created before you put your hands on it. Yeah. No one even saw how all the pieces work together. Exactly. Just like you got this department and that one and this one. Yeah. So I love that operations is now a thing. It wasn't until I started looking for like new roles and mm-hmm. I would look for literally Google the things I was doing. And I was like, operations, my title was coordinator. It yes, ma'am. This. And I was like, okay, this means people will not know what I did. If I have my job title on here, I need to call it what people are calling it. And so at my uh, former company, I said that I ended up being a preservation coordinator. So Mm -hmm. that is pretty much what I was doing. That's what gave me the foundation. When you look at my resume, you're like, okay, she went from preservation coordinator to legal operations. They are one and the same. People do put coordinator with operations a lot because you are coordinating people. (laughs) You You are dictating to them what to do and explaining to them how and why. Yeah. And that is coordinating. That's true. That's true. So you went to three HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Was that intentional? It was so intentional. So I'm from a place called Lowry Branch, Georgia. Okay. It wasn't until I got into college that I had a professor that looked like me, a janitor who looked like me, hell, a cafeteria worker. That wow. looked like growing up, I was either the only black kid in the classroom or one of like 30 at the school. And okay. so we it may be two by two in a classroom, but it was all white teachers, all white cafeteria, all white sub. It was just always like that. Um, both my parents did go to HBCU, so they did their due diligence to take us back to their, you know, alma maters for homecomings, but that wasn't enough because I was immersed in just a whole majority white world 24-7. So it was what I knew. And so I was 11 years old, I believe. And I went to a FAMU homecoming. And I said, you know what? I'm I'm going to go to college here. And so no one took me serious. When I got into my junior year of high school, I applied to FAM and I got in by my senior year. Okay. And my parents were like, you need to apply to other schools as well. This is when I'm applying to FAM. I said, no, I'm, I'm getting in there. Like, that's the only place that I want you. So my mom started applying to schools. I was like, well, just in case. Uh-uh. I, I'm, I'm going to apply you there or whatever. So it was very intentional. I knew I wanted to grow and immerse myself in my culture from an early age. I wouldn't change how my upbringing was because I feel like that was extremely foundational into how I'm able to sit on a phone call and be articulate or know how to shift my weight in a room. Those are skills I learned from how and where I grew up. And it's funny too, because you would think that I would run into racism a bunch being in a majority white, like neighborhood schools and everything. It wasn't that extreme. Like nowadays, I don't even know how I would have survived a majority white atmosphere with how the times are. But it was when I got to fam, they used to say, and I I do sound very much so different. I call it my reporter voice, but 
they used to call me Oreo. Okay. So it was one of those things where I'm like, say what now? And it was just like me being articulate is what they were saying. You sound white. And I was just like, I mean, that's beyond me. You guys are black like me telling me that I'm an Oreo. And so a lot of my friends were at FSU and that's where I spent the majority of my time. <laughs> that's where I was comfortable. I was like, you guys have sent me into culture shock and wow. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, an Oreo, someone calls you an Oreo, it's black on the outside, white on the inside, like the cookie. And then FSU is Florida State University, which is a predominantly white institution. So mm-hmm. you went to HBCU and spent most of your time at a PWI. I have, when I first you were like, well, at least here, they're not calling me names. They're not yeah. calling me names. It's people I've grown up with since like the <laughs> age of five. Yeah. It was my comfort zone. Right. And then I allowed myself to get to know my doormate. It was the intention of a, pretty much a few of my next door neighbors. They were always inviting me to like watch movies and stuff. I'm like, I barely know you know. And so like, <laughs> it was relentless. A lot of them had went to school together in Atlanta. Um, the school was called Southwest Cab, And so they knew each other. And so they were like, well, just watch this one movie. And I remember it was like a Martin Lawrence comedy show. And so that's something also I wasn't too versed in as comedy or whatever. And so it was every day she would be like, come watch this, come watch this. And you want to come eat with us or something like that. So I found the people that became my comfort zone. And then everything, you know, went copacetic yeah. from there. But yeah, when I first got there, I was like, uh-uh. Mm-mm. no 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 and I'm sure you didn't notice most of that stuff when you were 11 when you first fell in love with FAMU you just were like I mean and for those of you who have never seen the marching 100 I, I would google them FAMU's marching 100 that band solidified like the greatness that is FAMU mm-hmm. not only was I there at a school who, you know, a lot of schools just had communications department. No, FAMU has a school of journalism. I My degree on it says broadcast journalism. I have some friends who are graphic designs. We had newspaper. Like it was a school of journalism. It wasn't just no communications. And a lot of schools just had communications program. A lot of people would like to think that at an HBCU, you're getting a lower tiered education. I can guarantee you my education was top tier. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And then similar to my story, you worked and had multiple degrees before you went to law school. So when I first came out of undergrad, I did go and work as a reporter. So I did work for going back to school. I did about like four years and then I went back to school while I was in school. That's when I got into the nonprofit world for my MBA. And then of course at Southern, just teaching assistant and stuff like that. Yeah. So by the time you got to Southern, were you like, okay, hey, Black people, I'm ready? This was the first time that I was at a school in a place I had never really been, Mm -hmm. but I was oh so comfortable. The, The familial atmosphere at Southern was unmatched. One of the first people I met there, he's one of my best friends today. He's my child's godfather. We've been like freaking frack since orientation. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show you, like, it was like my people. Like, I was nervous, I guess you could say, because I'm new place by myself. But also I'm like, you're here to get an education. You don't really need no friends. And that's kind of how I approached it at first. They used to call me a gunner because I would, I mean, all I'm doing is reading and going to class and regurgitating everything because I didn't really want to get to know anybody. Yeah. I was like, I'm here to learn. I'm not here to do anything else. 
you know, that was short lived. But that was my first approach when I first got there. Southern made you comfortable from the onset and the people and the relationships that were built there are some of the strongest ones I have. And we were only school together for three years. Mm -hmm. And some people you didn't even meet until like your second or third year. Mm -hmm. Like you and I, we have a strong relationship, but it's different from like, you, you feel like you make your friends early on. I don't need no new friends. I got my friends sets right here. (laughs) That wasn't the case at Southern. You were able Mm -hmm. to build real bond. Yeah. And I mentioned school and working between there because we weren't 25. Mm-mm. A lot of law students go right after undergrad and they are, they're 25, 24. And so we were, you know, more seasoned. Um, yeah. But my friend I was just talking about, I think he just had his 30th birthday. I was like, good God. Like, right. <laughs> little baby, look at you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, they, they were definitely babies when they were at school. They were like yeah, 21, 22. I think the median age was like 25. So, um, <laughs> I can't, you've mentioned it a couple of times. I just can't let it go. Broadcast journalism degree. Mm-hmm. And then you worked as a news reporter. Mm-hmm. What happened where you were like, um, now I want to study public administration. Like where, so, what's the tie-in? For me, so my family is full of doctors. We got cardiothoracic surgeons. We got OBGYNs. We got dentists. We got you know, the whole, like the gamut, we got family physicians, nephrologists, like it's like Dr. World throughout my family. So there's a couple of us who kind of beat to our own drum. And it was like, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be a, a doctor. I'm going to do my own thing. So, you know, you have some in education and you have you know, like some in banking and stuff like that. So with me in journalism, it was already like, girl, you're not gonna make no money with that. And I just knew I was gonna be the next Oprah. So I'm like, yes, I am. But it was like a constant, like, you're not gonna make money. You're not gonna make money. Just go to law school. My godfather, he uh, is a prominent attorney. And he was like, I'll pay for it. Just go. Then I had my uncle. He was like, don't you need a prep class for that LSAT? I'll pay for it. Like, it became like a familial, like, do it do it do it I'm just like wow and then you know I'm assessing myself and I'm like girl you work at a radio station you work at Macy's and you work at a huge conglomerate Mm -hmm. and that's still not paying this little rent for this apartment I guess I would drown right now with inflation but back then my little rent was $830 and I had to work three jobs at good places yeah. to, to supplement my income. So I had to take a step back and I'm like, do you want to do this just to get to your Oprah spot, which is hard to break into markets. And then you're living in Atlanta, which is one of the hardest markets to break into. Mm-hmm. The reason I was at that big conglomerate is because my internship was there. And so they do feed-ins, yeah. um, but I wasn't going to start at the top. I had to start at the bottom. Yeah. And so I took a look at myself and I was like, you know what? I went ahead, took my uncle up on it. He paid for me a little Kaplan program, took the LSAT. For those of you who don't know what the LSAT is, it's this ridiculous test you have to take before you can go to law school that has nothing to do with law. So paid for the course, took the LSAT. I was like, okay, little LSAT score. Started getting into schools. And so I had some friends already at North Carolina Central Law School going into their second year so I'm like you know what I'll go there and so not two things I wasn't 
fully invested into law school when I went to North Carolina Central's law school. I was still like teetering and I almost felt forced because it wasn't something that I really was choosing to do. It was like just the pressure of it all. And so originally how I ended up in North Carolina is I was in law school, but I flunked out of law school my first year at North Carolina Central. And I was just like, you don't do this. Like you graduated with honors from undergrad. Like you, you don't make F, C, D, right. And so literally I flunk out my first year and I'm just like defeated. So I'm like, I'm over law. And so I started hearing about public administration. I found myself working with nonprofits a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. women nonprofits. And so I learned, you know, the best way to learn about nonprofits was actually through public administration. And so I ended up going to North Carolina Central's program. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up staying there and making A's again, because, you know, in master's program, you, you can't make a C. You yeah. have to make A's and B's. But me taking that master's in public administration and getting that degree and doing that work restored my self-awareness and self-worth and yeah. the education that I know and the person that I was. I ended up graduating with a 4.0. Oh, and wow. That's when I was just like being in that administration program. And I'm like, I used to see a lot of victim advocates for Mm -hmm. rape victims and they were just not equipped. And so I'm like, I want to have a nonprofit, but I want to be the attorney in the room to be able to advocate for these women. But at the same time, run to the courthouse and drop that TRO off. And so I was like, boom, let's go to law school again. And so I ended up getting accepted into Southern's Law School. And so because I had restored faith in myself because of my MPA, I got to law school this go around on my own merit, me Mm -hmm. wanting to go, me now having decided, you know, what I'm going to do that I tallied a lot of my classes my Mm -hmm. first year versus flunking out of them. And so I realized two things in life through this journey is when someone forces me to do something, it's going to be half-assed and it's not going to be to the highest caliber of the things that I can do when I want to do something. And when I put my mind to it, Oh, it gets done. Mm -hmm. I definitely graduated with honors from Southern. When I feel like I'm being Mm -hmm. forced to do something, it's a part of my life that I know now it ain't going to go right. It's it's not going to be the best. So sitting for the bar right after school, pregnant, but you're just supposed to do it right after school. You're like, mm, I'm going to go through the motions, but ain't nothing going to happen here. Nothing going to happen. Sure enough. I, I stayed in Baton Rouge for a while. Hey, we used to study at CC's because it was a par- across from my apartment complex. And I would just lay on the table and fall asleep. Like while they're studying, <laughs> grinding out, I barely could keep my eyes open. Oh, and good old so, CC's, community coffee. Yes. Coffee. So I was downhill from the get-go. Like, I'm trying to listen. You were also pregnant. Book. Yes. But, but yes. But I just wanted to sleep, eat, and reading and memorizing were just things. It was so hard to do. Yeah. You had just looked at Louisiana law for three years, and then now you're studying Georgia law. So Yeah. Put myself right in a common law and so much so was so foreign that is something that I regret not doing is sitting for the Louisiana bar then going to common law yeah okay so Sunita this has been fantastic 
is there anything that you want to share with the audience? Anything you haven't said so far about your journey, how you feel about law school, how you feel about legal operations and e-discovery, any of it? Um, I would just say to anyone trying to find their way, like you're sitting at your job, like this is crap. Or you're coming out of law school and you can't, you feel like you can't get your success going and your career going because you don't have your license. I want you to know that's a lie. You, you, there's arenas out there where a JD thrives at a higher rate sometimes than someone with their license. You just have to put yourself out there and learn there's other industries to work in and you surprisingly will probably be damn good at it. So don't be afraid to fly. Don't be afraid to fall and just always keep pushing. Mm -hmm. And keep telling yourself, you're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer until you start to believe it. Yep. All right. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was definitely fun. It was. All right, girl. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-boo. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.